Welcome to the Natural Health Rising Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, Certified Functional Diagnostic Nutrition Practitioner. I'm here to deliver you weekly episodes where you will hear conversations with health experts and solo episodes about functional medicine and all things holistic health. My goal is to provide you with the knowledge and tools you need in order to help you rise to your healthiest, happiest self. So on this episode, I have Elizabeth now with me. Since being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 1999, Elizabeth has been on a mission to redefine multiple sclerosis and autoimmunity naturally as a traditional naturopath and certified LEAP therapist. She has worked with hundreds of MS and other autoimmune sufferers in her nationwide clinic using unique, personalized, non-pharmaceutical therapies to empower them to reclaim their health. She's a TEDx speaker, award-winning author whose cookbook has sold more than 70,000 copies, a patented inventor, and has been featured on CBS, NBC, ABC, and PBS, as well as Good Housekeeping, Health, Martha Stewart Living Radio, and many other outlets. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you, Rachel. Yeah, happy to have you. Well, can you tell us a little bit about your story with multiple sclerosis and how that was discovered and what was that healing process like for you? You know, I was going through my life like a normal person. I didn't have really any challenges that I knew about until one night in 1998 when I was 29 years old. Um, I, or I'm sorry, 1999. I went to sleep as usual, and I woke up the next morning blind in my right eye. It was crazy. I had been working on an article that I had been writing about cross-country skiing for the Denver Post the night before, because one of my hats was as a freelance journalist. And um, before I had gone to bed, I had printed out my draft and, and given it a quick glance over as I was brushing my teeth and said, oh, I think I see three spots that I need to change a little bit and then I'll be ready to submit to my editor. But the next morning when I woke up and I set those printed out pages next to my coffee, I couldn't even read them. It was like someone had taken an eraser and removed entire paragraphs and segments of the text. And what I could read, I really couldn't understand. When I was even able to make out any of the letters, obviously I couldn't figure out what were those edits that I had wanted to make. And I had to submit to my editor what I knew to be a substandard um, article because I didn't have anything else I could do about it. So in short order, I was in the eye doctor's office. He diagnosed me with optic neuritis, which means inflammation of the optic nerve. Um, which is a very common herald of multiple sclerosis. And in fact, later on, I was in an MRI and that MRI showed very clearly there were 17 scars on my brain indicative of multiple sclerosis. Oh, wow. That is a crazy story. So there were no symptoms that came up before the waking up with the eye? You know, I had some symptoms in retrospect, but I didn't, wasn't able to identify them. One of the things about multiple sclerosis is that you need kind of multiple symptoms or multiple incidents to make that diagnosis, especially in the years before we had things like an MRI that can show us really what's going on in the brain. So it used to be that you could have some symptoms, but until you had multiple, you wouldn't ever receive that diagnosis. So I can look back and think, okay, you know, six months before this, I had experience tingling in my fingertips of one hand. Um, it was like pins and needles and I would just kind of touch it. It was really weird. But when I would ask doctors about it, they would say, you know, it's not hindering you. Don't worry about it. It is, that is a symptom of multiple sclerosis. And now I know that that was my first symptom. Okay. And just so other people are aware, if they're not familiar, can you explain what multiple sclerosis is? So multiple sclerosis or MS as it is better known is a degenerative autoimmune disease that's characterized by chronic inflammation that damages the myelin sheaths 
around the nervous system. So our nerves, if you think of them, they're kind of like an electrical cord. So any electrical cord we have, even like the one that's in my computer right now, it's, it, it's encased in a sheath of plastic. But in the olden days, if you remember before we had these great plastic sheaths on our cords, cords would get frayed and broken. They still do sometimes. And in inside that electrical sheath, we can see all sorts of wires, not just one wire, but numerous wires that are transmitting the electrical impulses through the wire from one side to the other side of the cord. And our nerves are the same way. They work by electricity that is transmitted through what we call synapses from our brain that sends out the message. And then it travels through our neural networks, our nerves to end up to whatever it is we want to do, whether it's move our finger or move our mouths and say something or even have a thought or even breathe. It all comes through our nervous system. So the medical world does not believe that there is a, a um, what's called an etiology or a basis for understanding why multiple sclerosis affects some people and not others, um, nor do they think that there's any way to cure it or recover from it. Um, I personally do not agree with them on both fronts. <laughs> and in fact, my next book is coming out in March, which is National MS Awareness Month. And it is about redefining multiple sclerosis mm -hmm. and looking for triggers in places that we really haven't looked for them before in a way to understand what autoimmunity really is. Okay. Thank you for that explanation. I love that analogy of the, the cord and the wires. That's really great. So you mentioned you don't agree with either of those statements. So let's start with one of them, which is what's the, what's the root causes of multiple sclerosis as we know it. So the term autoimmunity is a generic umbrella term, and it basically means any, any condition that is characterized by chronic inflammation. So the word autoimmunity, if we take it apart, auto means self, and immunity means allergic. So autoimmunity really means, if we take it apart, allergic to self. I would say, you know, evolution would say, nay, nay, you cannot be allergic to yourself. That is impossible. You would not have survived this long. So I really think that autoimmunity or this, this um, condition of chronic inflammation is not just random, you're allergic to yourself, there's nothing you can do about it. There are actually triggers that we can identify once we start looking in the right places and then remove them. It's kind of like celiac patients, which is another autoimmune disease. Once they figure out that gluten or wheat is their problem and is causing their symptoms and they remove it, they can live a pretty normal life. They're probably never gonna be able to, to reintroduce or to tolerate gluten, um, but you can live without it and not experience the symptoms. And I think that all autoimmune conditions have triggers. We just need to figure out what they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Cause this is, you know, I deal with autoimmune clients as well. Um, so what are some of the major triggers you see with your clients and yeah, just explain those a little bit more. So there are a couple of factors in this. One is to recognize that chronic inflammation causes damage to the digestive tract. And 80% or more of our immunity is based in our digestive tract. So when there is damage done in the digestive tract, a number of things start to happen. One, we have undigested or incomplete digested food, um, which can lead to deficiencies as it moves further into the body. Um, we also have what's called leaky gut or intestinal permeability because that inflammation um, affects the cells that make up the stomach and bowels. And these cells need to be really tightly paved, kind of like the, the tiles on a bathroom floor, because they need to be watertight as they hold your food in it as it gets digested. And when there's inflammation, those cells swell up. Those cells swell, that was a tongue twister. Those cells swell up and now we have gaps 
in between them where undigested food particles can slip through and cause more inflammation in the body. So that's one factor is the damage to the gut that we have to recognize. Another factor um, I think are the amount of toxins that are in our world. I think our food supply has been contaminated. And in fact, I gave a TEDx talk about this in 2014 called Poisons in Our Everyday Foods. Um, but I think that we have people become overloaded with toxins. And this can come from things like um, artificial sweeteners, artificial flavors, um, artificial fragrances. These are all chemicals. And the human body evolved on this planet to deal with things that were on this planet, not things that were sourced from miles below the surface, like petroleum-based chemicals, um, which are in our food dyes and our food flavors, all sorts of things. But also, we are bombarded at a rate never before seen in the history of humankind with these chemicals and these toxins. In fact, the Environmental Working Group did a study a, a number of years ago where they tested the cord blood of newborn babies the second they came into this world. And they tested that and they found that the average newborn across the country already has more than 200 toxins and chemicals in their bloodstream at the moment of birth. It's almost like we're set up to fail in some ways. So once we reach a, a threshold of toxins, we can tip over into autoimmunity, into constant inflammation. So I think that toxins uh, play a big factor. And then the third thing I think take is um, a big factor is hidden parasitic infestation. And I think parasites are way more of a problem than we have been led to believe and that we widely acknowledge in our world, even in what we consider to be such a developed environment as, as the US, parasites are everywhere. The CDC estimates that seven out of 10 adults are carrying around parasites and the job of a parasite is to find a host and move in and set up residence, reproduce forevermore, lots and lots of generations. And unless you address the parasites directly, they're never gonna go away. And they cause chronic inflammation because they're foreign invaders into this um, pristine environment that we call the human body. And our immune system does not like foreign invaders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you check with testing to see if your clients have parasites? You know, unfortunately, testing for parasites is notorious for false negatives for a number of reasons. Um, one is that, again, our doctors aren't really trained in parasites. We don't really look for them very well. So if you're not looking for something, then you may not find it. Number two is this, the commonly the common way to test for parasites is through a stool sample, but not all parasites live in our bowels or emerge with our stool. Some parasites live in our liver, like liver flukes. Some live in our heart, like trichinosis. Some live in our brain, like T. Gandhi. Some live in our bloodstream, like Chagas. So we could spend all this time and money waiting around for test results and have them come back negative and they'd be false negative. So I don't even bother to test. I think if you have a chronic inflammatory condition, it's worth doing an herbal, very, very gentle herbal parasite protocol just to clear the playing field. And let's start, if you're gonna start all sorts of changes, let's at least give you a good fighting chance to to have a good effect. Mm -hmm. And how long does someone have to stay on a herbal parasitic protocol? So the protocol that I use, which is a combination of four different herbs, very, very gentle. I use the same thing for babies when their moms find worms in their diapers, um, all the way up to adults. Um, they, each of the herbs is separate. So you kind of crescendo them over the course of 30 days. It's a 30 day protocol. That way you cover any parasitic activity that might be related to the lunar cycle, which parasites are lunar creatures oftentimes. So um, it kind of covers all of your bases. Okay. Awesome. Um, what are, are there other common symptoms of parasites that someone would want to look out for? 
I think the most common symptom of a of parasitic infection would be the beginning, the acute phase of infection. So oftentimes, right when you're infected, your body will rebel and you might have diarrhea, you might have vomiting, you might mm -hmm. feel malaise, you might even call it, oh, I had a stomach bug or 24-hour flu or um, food poisoning, mm -hmm. I call it that too. So that's the very, the most common initial phase of parasitic infection. And then your body kind of settles down and you move into a chronic phase of lowered vitality, though you may not even recognize that because, because your vitality is so lowered that until you clear out the parasites and realize how much more energy and life you have in your body, you might not even realize how what a lower frequency you were living at for so long because of this infection. Um, but during that chronic phase, symptoms can be varied. You could have diarrhea, you could have constipation, you could fluctuate between the two. You could poop um, three, six times a day or once every week. Both of those can be symptoms of parasitic activity. Um, some people, uh, my husband, for example, when he's infected with parasites, he faints randomly. So mm. all of a sudden, I remember one night we were sitting on the couch watching TV and he got up to go to the fridge to get a drink. And all of a sudden I hear this thump, thump, thump. And I walk into the kitchen and he's literally flat on his back. The fridge doors open. He had just completely fainted. Mm. Um, for him too, he would have sporadic vomiting, especially when he ate dairy. Parasites can get really active with dairy and sometimes sugar as well. Um, so sometimes parasites can show up in symptoms as like headaches or a very common symptom might be waking up around three in the morning. That's a active time for parasites. So mm -hmm. if you find that every morning you wake up and look at your clock, it's three in the morning, um, that might be an indication that you're infected. Yeah. Okay. So where are these parasites coming from? It is super, super easy to pick up parasites. You can get them from swimming in a lake or a river or even a public pool that's chlorinated. Every summer I see on the news that this water park just got tested for Giardia, something like mm. that. Um, you can get them from playing with your pet, from cleaning up the kitty litter box, from eating fruits or vegetables that haven't been washed that well. Once I picked up parasites from a salad bar at a pizza hut in Trinidad, Colorado. Um, you can get them from walking barefoot. There's uh, Strongoleads is a parasite in Brazil. They call it bicho de pé, which means a bite on the foot because it comes up through your feet as you're walking barefoot. And they used to be just seen in the tropics. Now they recently have been seen in the border areas of Texas. Um, you can get them from being bitten by a tick or a mosquito or another vector that can deliver them into your bloodstream. Lyme disease is a parasite, Babesia. Um, so there's lots of ways to pick up parasites, certainly um, foreign travel and um, less than sterile food and drink can contribute, but not always. You do not have to have left home to pick up a parasite. Oh, sushi. Let's not forget raw fish <laughs> and undercooked pork as well. Mm -hmm. So many of us experience anxiety and stress. And to be honest, I've always been one of those people who tends more towards anxiety. So I've always looked for hacks like breathing techniques and the foods I should eat to optimize my body to reduce anxiety. But one thing that's super important is getting quality sleep to lower our stress levels, lower anxiety. But what can happen is when we try to go to sleep, that will flare up again and then we're anxious and we have a hard time falling asleep, our mind is racing and it kind of becomes this cycle and we have insomnia. So if you can relate to this in any way, this is important for you to listen to. This might really help you out because if you're not sleeping, again, you're not really healing from anything, you're not going to be 
as energized and healthy the next day. And a lack of sleep is gonna cause weight gain, fatigue, cognitive issues, hormone imbalances, and so on. So there's this company called Baloo, and they have 100% cotton, chemical-free, weighted blankets. And these blankets, seriously, they feel like a firm hug when you put them on. And what this does is this soothes your nervous system and will alleviate any stress and anxiety. And when that happens, we actually increase our serotonin production, which is our happy hormone. And then our serotonin actually converts into melatonin, which signals our bodies that it's time to go to sleep. So using the Baloo weighted blankets can help you get a restful night's sleep and allow your body to do the natural healing and repair it needs during the night. And you are going to feel so much less stressed, less anxiety, and you will have such a better night's sleep when you're using this weighted blanket. And it's amazing for daytime too, if you're ever wanting to just cuddle up and take a nap or watch a movie and have this blanket on you, it feels amazing and secure. So you can find a link to their website in the show notes. So that's a lot of places and people are probably thinking, oh my gosh, I'm scared of everything right now. What, what would you have to say to people like, okay, what if someone wants to go outside barefoot or eat some fresh fruit? Like how do we stay up with mitigating the effects of living a normal life and potentially getting a parasite? And I too, I love to ground myself and walk barefoot. So when you're walking outside barefoot, you want to stay away from like swampy areas um, that might, I know in Texas, part of the problem is they're kind of having leaking sewage um, into like grasses and pipes. I know it's very uh, popular now to use gray water to, to irrigate um, things like playing fields. I wouldn't walk barefoot on those. Um, in your own yard, it's probably uh, safer as long as you're not having a leaking septic tank or something like that. Um, really, I think the best way to protect ourselves is just to pack, practice regular good hygiene, washing your hands before you eat or touch your face and after you use the bathroom. Don't touch um, things like door handles on public bathrooms as you exit. You may pick something up on your hands and now you've got it to bring into you. Um, certainly, uh, if you're changing baby's diapers, things like that, just be very hygienic and sanitary with all of these day-to-day uh, -day activities. And if you still feel like you pick up a parasite, which you might, right? They happen there all the time. They're everywhere. Um, that might be an indication that's time to do an herbal cleanse. Mm. Okay. So how... How long did it take you to heal from your multiple sclerosis? So I I think the healing process is a lifetime journey. I mm -hmm. think um, that the doctors probably are right that there is no cure for multiple sclerosis or really any other autoimmune condition. What you need to learn how to do is how to clean up your body and manage your life and lifestyle so that you don't trigger those inflammatory conditions. So it took me the first three to five years, I was on and off um, one of the injectable multiple sclerosis disease modifying therapies, which is a very, very toxic pharmaceutical. And I had terrible side effects from those. Um, including hives all over my body. A good day was 30 hives. A bad day was 300 hives. Mm. Um, for three years, every single day I had hives somewhere and it turned out it was really from the drug that I was taking to try to slow down the progression of the multiple sclerosis. It wasn't working really at all. I was still having regular, they're called exacerbations or flare-ups of symptoms from multiple sclerosis while I was on the drug. But I was learning a lot about, and I was starting to clean up my body and my diet and my life and change the way I eat and the way I lived and, and the other environmental 
um, influences around me. And by the time I stopped taking the drug completely, which was probably, I think 2004 was the last time I tried it. It was making me have a seizure every time I injected. And I thought, you know what? My body is trying to tell me very clearly, it does not want this drug. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, I felt like at that point that I had learned so much about what multiple sclerosis was and what these kinds of triggers were and, and how to clean up my diet that um, I would fare better without the drug. And in fact, I have, my last exacerbation was 2002. So I can't remember what your original question was. <laughs> oh, just how long it took you to heal. What is a, a common timeline? I know this looks different for everybody, but if someone works with you, how long does it take somebody to put their MS into remission? So my, my foundational program is a four month program. And by the end of those four months, people understand they have a handle on what they need to do, how they need to eat, what they, how they need to live in order to keep their multiple sclerosis, sclerosis in remission. Um, it doesn't take the whole four months. By the end of the four months, you pretty much have it down pat. Really within the first month or two, people experience tremendous improvement and um, cessation. I, I say you're going to experience reduction or even complete cessation of your symptoms unless you trigger them. I can trigger my symptoms pretty easily, unfortunately, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I stay away from those things that trigger them. Mm -hmm. Yep. Same thing here with my Hashimoto's. I know what to do and what not to do. And you just kind of learn what works for your body at that point. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. just, just recently, um, I accidentally ate something that had natural flavors in it. For example, natural flavors are not natural. <laughs> Everyone who is listening to this or who follows Rachel should probably already know this, but if something says natural flavors on it, that is very, very toxic. And it is an FDA loophole that can conceal 30 chemicals that are in those quote, natural flavors. There's nothing natural about them. And for me, when I have natural flavors, different things might happen depending on which one they are. So um, if I drink, say, a carbonated flavored water with natural flavors, those things seem so great, right? No calories, just a little flavor and just water. Oh my gosh. The first thing that will happen is my eyelids will start to get really red and then they will start to peel and bleed um, from oh, natural wow. flavors. The other night I, I ate something I did not know had a natural flavor in it. And um, one particular natural flavor, I don't even know which one it is, wakes me at four in the morning with shooting pains down my legs, which is an MS symptom, um, mm. which, and can also be termed restless leg syndrome, right? Where nothing I could do could, could release the pain that was in my legs no stretching, no movement, um, nothing because it was a chemical reaction to, to of inflammation to these natural flavors. Um, mm -hmm. I have a secret remedy that I'd love to share with you. It's called, it's a homeopathic remedy. Um, it's a homeopathic antihistamine. And mm. so I take that and that, that works pretty quickly to relieve the pain and the inflammation because Again, we have to think if we have a poison ivy encounter or a bee sting and we take something like Benadryl, which is an antihistamine, we can expect to get some relief from the pain from those symptoms, which are inflammation. Um, so by taking a homeopathic antihistamine, um, I can get relief from some of these symptoms um, that we call multiple sclerosis symptoms, which proves my theory that really it's all hypersensitivity reactions. You're not allergic to yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you want to share the name of the homeopathic remedy? It's called homeopathic antihistamine. Histamantium. Oh, okay. okay. Yep. And you can purchase it on my shop page. Um, I ship it anywhere. It is, I give it as part of my welcome kit to everyone who works with me because 
I want you to recognize, I want everyone to see like, wow, this is homeopathy. And if you have never been introduced to homeopathy before, this is a great way to learn about it because really the um, effects are almost immediate. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I think home- homeopathic medicine is absolutely crazy when you think about it. For somebody who doesn't know, what is the basis of how a homeopathic remedy works? A homeopathic remedy is based on the concept that like cures like, um, which is maybe more than you need to know about homeopathy. It was um, discovered and codified by Samuel Hahnemann back in the 1800s and has been used for a century. Um, And it's very widely used in Europe. It used to be used very widely in the the United States as well before the publication of the Flexner Report in around 1910, which demonized any medical um, practices that were not based on petroleum as per Andrew Carnegie and um, J.D. Rockefeller. So the only reason homeopathy is not more widely known about here is because of the oil barons, J.D. Rockefeller and and Andrew Carnegie, who really put the kibosh on things. But homeopathic remedies are safe. If if they're not the right remedy, nothing will happen. There are no side effects from homeopathic remedies. They're safe really for anyone to use, even pregnant women. Mm Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. I think a lot of people think that they hear the word homeopathy and they just think, oh, like natural herbs, but it's actually this almost like a sugar pill in a sense that has such a minute amount of the ingredient that your body needs to combat that symptom. So yeah, just want to clear clear that up. So people know that part. You Um, are right. And some of them are made from our source from herbs but whatever the original ingredient is, it has been diluted, diluted, diluted hundreds of thousands of times. And it's really all that is left is the energy signature. Right. Mm -hmm. So even like, um, Arnica, um, or not Arnica, Arsenica, which is a very common homeopathic remedy for a stomach upset has arsenic as its foundation, but there's only the energy signature left because it has been diluted, diluted, diluted so many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. I, I'm, I'm not the best qualified person to explain how it works, but it does work <laughs> and there are no side effects and no downsides to trying it because, um, if nothing's, if it's not the right remedy, nothing will happen. Mm-hmm. Hey, I want to talk to you about alcohol for a second. How are you doing with your alcohol intake? If you're someone who is working on getting healthier, hopefully you are not drinking, or maybe you are just working on cutting back and trying to make some healthier swaps. So I'm not a huge proponent of alcohol anymore because it does deplete the body of a lot of nutrients. And as someone who has an autoimmune disease, I have to be careful with those things. But since I have my health in check and I feel great, every once in a while I will have either some 100% agave tequila or some red wine. But I don't drink just any red wine because many wines, especially mass-produced ones, in a lot of those in the U.S. and in California, you know, the ones that everybody raves over, sorry Californians, (laughs) they are loaded with chemicals and sugars. There's actually 76 FDA approved additives currently for wine. And no, you will not see those listed on the label. So personally, I like to drink dry farm wines because they actually lab test their wines for purity. They are completely sugar-free, biodynamic, and they're actually lower in alcohol and sulfites, which usually irritate a lot of people. They have small family farmers who use regenerative farming to produce these wines so that their production is better for the planet and their ingredients are pure and better for those of you who are health conscious, but you still want to enjoy a glass of wine now and again. So good news for you. If you shop through the link in the show notes, you can actually get an extra bottle for just a penny, or you can go to 
dryfarmwines.com forward slash natural. So what are some other things that people should do? Maybe like top two to three things that people should do to reduce inflammation, um, or start to work on their autoimmune issue. So I think that there are a couple things to do. Um, if you can remove your parasites, that's a great way to start, but you can also do a detox type, um, practice and remove some of the toxins and heavy metals from your body. My favorite way to do that is through an ionic foot bath, which is super gentle and no, again, no side effects. And you don't have to take any questionable herbs or use any chelating um, binders, anything like that. In fact, I have a course called autoimmune detox therapy. And if you go to autoimmune detox therapy.com, you can see, I kind of lay it all out how that works, but in 30 days, you can remove tremendous amounts of heavy metals and other toxins from your body. And that can give you a really noticeable change in how you feel. Um, where I love using it is on elderly people, because if their mind is starting to wander, um, odds are high they have uh, an accumulation of heavy metals in their body after a lifetime of living in an industrialized world and taking pharmaceuticals and vaccines and, and all kinds of um, ways, breathing them in. If you live in a city, every time you leave your house, you're bring, breathing in particulates um, from our traffic and our industry. So it's a, it's a nice, very, very gentle, low effort way to detox. You don't have to change your diet. You don't have to do a juice faster or anything like that um, to do that. But so yes, you can detox your body is a great thing to do. Um, but the biggest and number one thing I always advocate is to start reading labels. Mm. If there are ingredients on a label that you cannot pronounce, you probably shouldn't be eating it. Um, watch out our, as I said, our food supply is contaminated and the FDA, their job is not to protect the consumer. Their job is to protect American industry. So they're not out there looking out for you, um, especially in all of the amounts that we're being exposed to all of these chemicals and additives that are in our food supply. So mm -hmm. for instance, food dyes and colors originally were brought before the FDA in the 1930s. And at that time they were sourced from coal. Now they're sourced from petroleum. And really, there really haven't been good studies that have been done long-term that, that assess what they could be doing to us and the amounts that we are taking them in. And you have to remember that these are not just coming in through our mouths, through what we eat. So like every time we have say like a Diet Coke and there's aspartame and there's um, caramel color and there's artificial flavors, all of these things just in that one can. Um, but our skin is our largest organ and we absorb molecules through our skin too. So we have to look at, well, why are we putting green food dye in our dishwashing liquid? Why, are our, why is our toothpaste blue? right? Mm -hmm. Why is our shampoo a different color? It makes no sense that we would color these items that are meant to be cleaners, mm -hmm. yeah, but we can absorb all these things in through our skin and that adds to our toxic load. Mm -hmm. What about nutrition? I know you use your, so you're a leap therapist, which uses the MRT food sensitivity test, correct? That is so correct. Can, can you tell us more about how that works? So the MRT is a unique food sensitivity test. Most of the food sensitivity tests on the market, and you may have seen some advertised even on television lately, um, are looking for antibody creation. But antibody creation is somewhat irrelevant when we're talking about food sensitivities versus food allergies. Yes, there will be antibodies created for food allergies, but if, you're, if you have a food allergy to say shrimp, and it gives you anaphylaxis, you might already know that or have figured that part out. Um, 
And certainly you don't want to eat shrimp if that is the case. But we're talking about food sensitivities that cause inflammation, not necessarily anaphylaxis and death. And that inflammation can manifest in a myriad of ways, really anywhere. I like to look at and say most, if not all symptoms are due to inflammation. So if we think, well, inflammation in the head, that could be a migraine or a headache or even brain fog or depression. Inflammation in the sinuses could be chronic sinusitis or lots of sinus infections or runny or stuffy noses. Inflammation in our chest could be asthma, could be high blood pressure, could be heart issues. Inflammation in our gut could be, could look like um, digestive issues, could look like bloating, could look like cramping, um, inflammation, gas. Inflammation in our bowels could look like diarrhea or constipation or both or um, swinging back and forth between the two. Inflammation in our joints could look like fibromyalgia or arthritis, right? Anything that ends in an itis means inflammation in doctor speak. Like remember I had optic neuritis, inflammation of the optic nerve, gastritis, inflammation of the gastric cavity. Really, those are just explanations, descriptions of what's going on. They don't tell you how it happened or how to get it, how to fix it, how to treat it. So the MRT is amazing because it measures the inflammatory mediators that are released by the blood upon exposure to what it deems to be a threat. So those mediators, just like we talked about histamine and antihistamines earlier, but histamine is only one of 80 or more mediators that the bloodstream can release that can trigger inflammation within the body. So the MRT doesn't distinguish between which mediators being released because we know that all mediators cause inflammation systemically. They travel through the bloodstream, so everywhere in the body. And when you're inflamed, it affects how you think. It affects your emotions, your reactions as well because they go. those mediators go everywhere the bloodstream goes. So the MRT is super accurate. I think it's like 94% accuracy, which is astounding in the world of testing. And it allows us to design a customized anti-inflammatory diet that is not an elimination diet. So we're not going to look at the test results and say, A, B, and C turned up high on the list. Why don't you just avoid those and go live your life, which is not super helpful. Um, instead, we look at X, Y, and Z are the least inflammatory foods for you that we can see from this test. And we're gonna design a diet around the least inflammatory foods so that you can have things to eat that are delicious and fulfilling and not feel deprived, but not be inflaming yourself every time you open your mouth to put food in it. Mm -hmm. And do these people heal these food sensitivities after a while? So food sensitivities absolutely can change. Um, my, my son, when we first did his MRT test in... Wow, when he was six years old, he had one third of the items on the test that were reactive for him, um, which is still to this day, the worst test I've ever seen. Um, but when we retested him seven years later, only about 12 items came up as reactive for him and not even all the same as ones that had been on the first test. So some things he had been able to recover from and was no longer reactive to. And other things stayed and he was still reactive to them. And then new ones came onto the list as well. So yes, the makeup of your tolerance threshold absolutely changes with your activity and how you manage your body. And the longer you can remain uninflamed, the more healing that will happen to your gut. Mm -hmm. How often should somebody or would it be recommended for somebody to do this test? Um, typically I find people don't really need to retest for like six or seven years. Um, okay. And in fact, I, I have, uh, I, that's, I don't see very many people who need to retest more frequently than that, but after around six or seven years, um, 
enough maybe will have changed. And if you find yourself struggling to stay in an uninflamed place using the tools that we identified while you were going through the program, um, then it, it might be a good idea to retest, but it's very rare. Okay. So these people stay off of those foods for years. Um, the test company suggests that you meet, you refrain completely from eating anything or becoming exposed to anything that is in what they call the yellow zone for three months and anything that's in the red zone for six months. I don't think that is sufficient. I usually recommend stay away from anything that's in the yellow zone for six months and anything that's in the red zone for a year at least. And then I, part of the program is I'll teach you how to challenge yourself. So if it's something that you're dying to reintroduce, you may be able to, um, you'll be able to challenge yourself. That's the best way to know. And you may have a reaction. And part of the strategy of challenging yourself is to choose your time and place and make sure that it is the only new variable. So that is a big part of the process is we wanna reduce the variables that could be triggering your symptoms. And if we can know that everything else is, has been deemed safe for you and there's just one new item and you have a new symptom manifest, then you can track it back to that new item and know that it affects you just like me with the restless leg and the natural flavors. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you have any tips for making nutrition changes easier for someone who is trying to change from like a standard American diet to all of a sudden eating non-processed anti-inflammatory? Very much so. In fact, this was a big part of my journey was I wanted to find a way that I could eat healthier um, that didn't take a lot of effort because I have multiple sclerosis and fatigue is a hallmark of that condition. Um, but I wanted to focus more on whole foods than processed foods. So if we look more at whole foods, um, they don't have all of those additives and contaminants that are added to our processed foods. So in fact, you can see on the wall behind me, my cookbook, Glorious One Pop Meals, it introduces and teaches the unique method of preparing whole foods in a cast iron Dutch oven. I just happen to have one here. Let me pull this out. Oh, like this one, um, makes it super, super quick and easy to do so that you literally throw your foods into the pot and throw it into a super, super hot oven and flash cook it so that dinner's ready in 45 minutes. Makes it very, very easy. So that is glorious one pot meals back there. Okay. Awesome. That's super helpful because yeah, the whole prep and everything like that and cooking is the biggest challenge I see for a lot of people. I would agree. In fact, um, if people are interested, they can pick up my ultimate checklist for stocking your freezer and pantry with foods, with whole foods to make it really, really easy to throw together a healthy dinner any night of the week. And you can get that at glorious, G-L-O-R-I-O-U-S, one O-N-E, pot, P-O-T, meals.com. Um, and you can grab that checklist there. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. Thank you. So final question. If you could leave the listeners with one tip that they could implement maybe this week or today, even that could help them live a healthier, happier life, what would that be? I think the biggest tip is to read the labels and focus on whole foods more than processed foods. Um, I do have a handout that is three, the three, th uh, the three foods that people with multiple sclerosis or other autoimmune conditions should never eat. And you can pick that up at multiplesclerosisdiet.com um, if you want to pick that up. But really the secret is stay away from the chemicals, stay away from the artificial things um, and focus on whole foods rather than processed foods. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> So we have the, all your links in the show notes, uh, for your, you know, how to reach out to you and everything like that. Do you have a preferred place that people reach out to the, out to you if they have more questions or want to work with you? The best way to reach me is through my website at elizabethyarnell.com. 
And on the bottom of every page, there's a link to book a complimentary naturopathic health assessment with me. And I invite all the listeners of this program to take me up on that. Let's chat. Let's see if what I offer could help you feel better. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Rachel, for having me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And if so, please make sure you leave a comment and rating on whatever podcast platform you're using and share this episode with a friend who needs to hear it. Please remember that this podcast is not meant to treat, cure, or prevent any illness. Always talk to your healthcare provider before implementing any nutrition, lifestyle, or supplement changes you hear about on this podcast. Now, before I go, I want to talk more about how I may be able to help you. If you are someone who is sick of running from doctor to doctor, not getting any answers, but you still know something is wrong, functional medicine is the way for you to go. I have worked with so many people who have been dismissed by doctors, who have experienced things like anxiety, hair loss, PMS, brain fog, eczema, bloating, and other GI issues, and more. But when I run functional medicine labs on these people, we actually find the root causes of what's going on. And this might be things like hidden gut infections, toxic heavy metals, mold, leaky gut, and vitamin and mineral deficiencies. And then with this information, we're able to make nutrition, lifestyle changes, and custom supplementation and herbal protocols, which actually helps these people get rid of their symptoms. I've seen clients reverse rheumatoid arthritis, alopecia areata, IBS, and other complex health issues. And I've also seen clients who thought they were generally healthy level up into an optimized and energetic version of themselves that they didn't even know they could access. So wherever you're at with your health, you can book a free health consultation with me by going to the link in the show notes or by heading over to naturalhealthrising.com and book a call there right now so that you can start feeling like yourself again, happy and energized. Okay, that's all I have for you today. Keep tuning in every week to gain more knowledge on how to live your healthiest, happiest life. And make sure to follow me on TikTok and Instagram for additional health information.